The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We are going to kick things off as we will every day here in the show with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened uh, today, these stories that matter most. And joining me for the afternoon update today is Kevin Doyle, who's Group Head of News at Media House, the independent uh, stable, and Ian Power, the CEO of Spun Out. You're both very, very welcome. Um, You survived the journey here in the weather. Perilous conditions. I I walked from the north inner city all the way over here to the south inner city. Was it it slippy? I can confirm it is cold. It's not slippy. Not yet Mm. anyway. It's a bit breezy. Uh, I suspect it's people in the West. Maybe you're getting the the slippy stuff, but uh, it's very cold. I forgot my gloves. I shook hands with Ian when I came in uh, out in reception and he immediately pulled back from me. And I was like, (laughs) God, what have I done? But then I realised I was actually freezing. Ian, I had already thought at that point. Yeah, it's absolutely Baltic. The bracing wind yeah. walking down the street. So I can only imagine what people in more country areas are like today. Well, yesterday we had fog now in Kenny yesterday. So it was like Newry, the football mm. in Newry. You couldn't see the end of the garden. Uh, and uh, we do not have a very big garden. <laughs> and you still couldn't see the end of it. So we had the debate about whether we should bring the dog in last night. You know, this... Uh, discussion. I would have left the dog out in it, but anyway, I was overruled no three to one, no and the heart. dog the dog was brought inside, <laughs> and Kieran and, was put outside. <laughs> yeah, no. Who who having voted to keep the dog outside was the one at seven o'clock this morning cleaning up what the dog had deposited outside the washing machine. Anyway, you don't need three guesses to work out which of us it was. Anyway, we're we're going to be talking uh, to a few experts a little bit later this hour, actually, on the weather, uh, just what we can expect over the few days and. If you are in a part of the country where it is remaining perilously cold, what you should do with the pets, like how cold is too cold to leave them uh, outside, uh, the old thing about leaving taps running. Apparently, you're not meant to put boiling water on your windscreen, which I've been doing for 20 odd years now. It's going to crack the windscreen eventually. Mm. It's a miracle I've lasted this long without doing it. Uh, So say some experts and gritting uh, of kind of the footpath of the driveway in the house. uh, Should you do it? And if so, is kind of the table salt uh, good enough for it or should you be buying something else? We're going to have all of that advice coming up a little bit later. Uh, but Kevin, um, these protests that have been happening in Ballinrobe over plans to house asylum seekers um, in the town. What, what is the latest on that? Because that story has evolved through the day. It has from Friday to the point where, when the protests started uh, on the breaking of news that 50 men were going to be placed in the hotel to the point where they're being dismantled um, this evening on news that 50 women and children or families, at least, uh, there may be some men among them, are going to be placed in the same hotel. So it seems that the local people have now accepted that families are welcome, which, in fairness, they had been saying over the weekend. um, But that the department moved to change up what was going to happen in the hotel. And they do seem to be accepting that now. So I suppose on one level, it is good news that the accommodation which is there isn't going to go to waste because obviously we have such a crisis at the moment of accommodation. On the other side, I have to think that this will give encouragement to anywhere else around the country that decides they do not want uh, male asylum seekers um, put uh, in accommodation in their village or their town. Um, in a way, the protesters have won, you have to think. 
Ian, so is this kind of good news or bad news story? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was listening today to a Vox Pop on the news at one and, you know, there was a, a lot of the, the people who were at the protest remarking on what their views were and a lot of the common refrain was around the lack of services. Yet, um, you know, we went back after, you know, when the, the announcement was was made uh, to somebody speaking for the local community and suddenly because it was families, there was no issue with lack of services anymore. And I think to me... Men, men in their 20s are the least likely to engage and use public services anywhere in the world. 100%. They don't go to the doctor. They don't They do not do anything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think to, to, for me, like it's heartbreaking that like we just talked about the weather and these crazy, you know, low temperatures that we're about to experience over the coming week. And there's 450 people who are, uh, you know, have come to the country who are trying to escape other things and they're sleeping on the streets. We know there's 560 people every week that the Department of Children Integration are trying to find a roof for. So for me, yes, absolutely, you know, uh, adequate GP services, adequate school places, all that's really important. But so is putting a roof over people's heads in in freezing temperatures. Kevin, I assume the department will spin this in such a way that uh, they they will not... Uh, paint themselves as having uh, kind of uh, backed away. They'll suggest maybe they're, they're never kind of confirmed that it would be men, that it would always up for assessment and they decided that the best use of the facility was women and children. I assume that is forthcoming. Yeah, well, they already in the, the statement today said that they have now identified a particular need for families, uh, accommodation for families. So it's it's already moving it on as if, well, this is kind of what we need right now. What we needed on Friday maybe was, was something different. So that they're never going to admit that they have changed course on the back of the protest because that obviously goes precisely against what Leo Varadkar said yesterday, which was that no community or no people group of people can have a veto over who lives in their community. Well, what has actually happened here is a group of people have placed a veto over who can live in their community um, and they have used that idea of there hasn't been enough communication. As Ian said, there aren't enough services mm. and the government have changed tack and it's very hard to see now how this doesn't repeat itself again and again um, as we go forward. The department said this evening, I think there's 190 different accommodation centres across the country now, which is a huge number when you ding it down, across 26 counties. So they're trying to make the point that this is everywhere. This isn't just Ballinrobe. This is Mayo, it's Galway, mm. it's Offaly, it's Dublin, it's Cork. Um, and that everybody has to carry a fair share of this weight. It is a weight on a community, let's be honest, when people um, who are not necessarily allowed to work, who not don't necessarily speak the language, um, who have perhaps come from very scarce situations arrive into a community. Of course, there is a weight on the community there. But the department trying to make the point that everybody is tr- everybody is carrying it. Um, but I guess the group of people who set out in Ballinrobe to to stop this felt that they were carrying an unfair weight and I think the government have perhaps bowed to that. Ian, what would you like to see government do in terms of showing leadership? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's leadership on two fronts, really. There's leadership on the governmental level, which is to say that, look, we need to find whatever uh, beds we can find and we need to put people in them to, to kind of protect them and provide them with that at the moment. Um, but I think to Kevin's point as well, yes, I think communities are skewing towards seeing this as a burden as opposed to an opportunity. Like we know that Ireland's uh, population is ageing. We know that we don't have the same number of workers per retiree that we you know, previously had. We know their economy needs to grow in terms of the people that we need. We need skilled people. We need to be talking about what are the opportunities for the people coming to Ireland? How can we uh, you know, provide education and employment opportunities that fill the skills gaps that we have? Not to be too, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, 
I guess, economical about it. You know, this is a humanitarian crisis in the first instance. But like, we know that these people are coming to the country. So how can we reframe what the opportunity that this provides? And so I think it would be useful. We were we got used to Leo Varadkar doing a lot of uh, national addresses during mm. COVID. I think it would be helpful on something like this to hear from from the Taoiseach, you know, in a na- nationwide address, kind of what is what is the, the situation here? What's the, the plan? What are we going to do in the longer term? I think the fact that the Department of Integration are still left kind of holding the can with this as opposed to, you know, having a wider strategy around, um, you know, kind of what it, what is going to happen to, to support the department. It, it, you know, it can't just be left to its own devices. And then the second point in terms of leadership is <clears throat> on a local level. And I think for me, what I'd like to see is local politicians, instead of running to Facebook or elsewhere to post the briefings that they get from the Department of Integration as soon as they receive them, what I'd like to see is them engaging with local community leaders to kind of support, you know, whatever uh, influx of of folks is coming into the community. How can you best provide for them? How can you support? How can integration happen in the best way rather than being the first with the news to get the pat on the back from the community so that they can, you know, Mm. potentially kind of rally against what is seen as as unfavourable kind of folks coming into their community. Kevin, at the risk of kind of repeating myself, it's a point I made last week, but the leadership from government as well and, and Ian mentions the Radker. I just thought it was interesting before Christmas that the Taoiseach acknowledged, you know, the misinformation, the disinformation exists, and we must we must do a better job of combating it. Mm. Yet, if somebody came on here, if one of you said, "Oh no, listen, I'm I'm, I'm with those protesters. We all know that uh, these young uh, kind of asylum seekers moving in, it leads to an increase in crime." How do I find out that's not true? I, I know it's not mm. true because people have told me it's not true, and we've covered it enough in the show. It's not mm. true, but a member of the public to find that out, you'd actually have to dig through crime stats from the CSO yeah. and information from the Gardaí released in press releases and other groups that there is no kind of the port or there's been no real attempt by the government they acknowledge this problem but yeah. I, I don't know maybe you tell me I'm wrong there doesn't seem to be an, an attempt by them to deal with all those misinformation No and, and I, Imagine if right some of the money spent on the ads telling us to pay our TV licence was actually <laughs> yes. spent on ads That's telling us describe it, the yeah. actual situation around migration uh, in this country the fact that asylum seekers actually make up a very small proportion of the numbers of people who are coming into this country every year to live here some are just coming for work some are returning from abroad they're, they're Irish natives if you like um, and some are refugees from Ukraine um, then you have the issue of what are our laws and what does our membership of the EU which gave us lots when we were a bit poorer ourselves what does that require us to do so there has been no information campaign from the government on that at all I don't think uh, I don't know if Ian was suggesting that we see Leo Varadkar walking down the steps of government buildings to make a, an address nicely timed for the 6-1 news I don't think we'll get that but you are right they do need to start talking about this in a way that people understand the problem for them is I, I heard a, a Fianna Fáil councillor on the radio earlier today talking about fear and what people were afraid of in Mayo. And this was all about people were afraid because they didn't know what was going on or who was coming. And it was all this fear and repeatedly asked, afraid of what? Would not answer what mm. you're afraid of because that's the thing that goes unsaid but everyone knows what he's talking about. Um, anyway, listen, I, it kind of dispiritingly I suspect we're going to be talking about protests like these outside other uh, centres and, and similar consequences and outcomes uh, over the next few weeks and months so we'll move on for the moment. Uh, food inflation has fallen again. So the, cri- the cost of living crisis is over, Kevin, is that it? Well, far from it because there oh. is... Yeah, sorry, sorry. There is still food inflation. I, 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 the, 
sometimes find the reporting of these stories it makes it sound like prices are dropping, but yeah. actually just the rate of growth of inflation exactly. has slowed. So sometimes I think people can think, <laughs> ah, grand, so we're fine. Yes. But actually, no, no, they're only up 7%, 7.1% now. Um, but it, it is stabilising, I guess. We were at a point where it was more than twice that uh, mm. not so long ago. So things have calmed down a bit. It's the eighth month in a row where the figure has come down. Um, and I suppose people are probably starting to... I do the weekly shop. I, I starting to understand again what my baseline is because we all went through that situation where you went to Lidl or Tesco or wherever it was and you had a fair idea of what your price was and then you went back in a fortnight and it was like, how did I spend another tenner? I bought the same amount of carrots and bread and whatever yes. else in a week. So I think we're probably getting back to a stage where you can kind of guess what you're going to spend in a week whereas for a while there it was it could be any amount when you got to the till. Um we know as well, Ian, that uh, food inflation disproportionately affects people on lower incomes because they have less disposable income. They still have to eat the same amount of food as the wealthy uh, in society. So despite the fact that it is still on an upwards trajectory, I guess that the slow, in, slow down in growth uh, is to be welcomed. Yeah, I mean, any slowdown in growth of prices <laughs> is to be welcomed. Um, I guess what was interesting from this story as well as that, Cantar, we're talking about the fact that there was a record spend in the last kind of uh, month of the year last year up to to something like 1.3 um, or, or so billion. Um, but really, actually, there was a real vo- fall in the volume sold of four, by 4%. So essentially, the spend might have been record, but that's because prices went up 15%. Mm. So, so there's definitely a situation where people are cutting back and having to to shop around and, and be smart. And you can see that with all of the, the supermarkets. They're all fighting whether it's the club card or the Dunn's vouchers uh, or people going to the German multiples. You know, I know ourselves just before Christmas, we changed tack. We went to one of the German multiples and we noticed a huge difference in, in terms of the price and buying the the kind of the brand, the non-branded stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are, are doing that because, um, you know, it really is starting to hit home that, you know, it's really expensive to try and do what you would have done, you know, this time last Last year, you, you can see it in your receipt at the end of, of your shop. And I know that there's lots of families out there who are really struggling and trying to, to make ends meet, particularly in January, which is a hard month uh, anyway, for many reasons. And I think, you know, a lot of people really found it difficult to, 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 to get Ian's through Christmas. Point, you'll appreciate this, Kieran. When, when people had to um, leave something out of the trolley, there's some stats within the report out today. The things that dropped in sales uh, volumes this Christmas, Brussels sprouts and mince pies. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> Two of my favourite Christmas foods, Brussels sprouts, mince pies. Understandably uh, and uh, uh, not unpredictably, uh, lots of people getting in touch about Ballinrobe and immigration. People are appalled that I suggested that I might have left the puppy outside last night. I should clarify. <laughs> I mean, I didn't forcefully argue that the dog should be left outside. I merely in advance was lamenting the fact that I knew out of everybody in the house, I was going to be the one on my hands and knees at seven o'clock this morning cleaning up his little love parcels that he leaves all over the uh, 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 the utility room. Um, uh, Kevin, Jerry Kelly, um, the Sinn Féin uh, MLA, has had his defamation case in the North thrown out of court. So tell us about this. Not just thrown out, but unceremoniously thrown mm. out. Um, Jerry Kelly, perhaps not as well known to followers of politics in the Republic, but a very big Sinn Féin Very, very big figure. within Sinn Féin there. Um, and a very long history with the IRA. And he took a case, uh, two cases, in fact, but the one today uh, is against a journalist, Malachi O'Doherty, who writes a column for the Belfast Telegraph. So part of my own stable, I should probably stay in the interests of transparency. Um, 
The case was based around comments that um, O'Doherty made suggesting that during the May's prison break in 1983 that Jerry, Oke- Jerry Kelly had shot a prison officer. Now, that was a case that went to court and it was never proven at the time. The judge says that he may well have been involved, but it wasn't beyond all reasonable doubt to a criminal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. that he could, So he was never convicted of it, yeah. basically. Um, he sued um, for defamation. The judge today gave a 55-page ruling in which he basically said any right-thinking person studying Jerry Kelly's career, his commentary, um, his uh, lack of attrition for some of the activities he was involved in with the IRA, uh, no right-thinking person could conclude that saying he shot a prison officer uh, would worsen his reputation um, from what it already stands at. He described it as a scandalous case, a vexatious case. And I suppose this is the third case involving senior people in Sinn Féin in recent, uh, in recent weeks that have uh, been rejected by the courts. And there has been a lot of debate, obviously, mm. before Christmas around whether Sinn Féin, uh, more so than other parties, have uh, a tendency towards taking legal actions as a way to, um, I suppose, yeah. fight with journalists, shall we say. Because, Ian, without kind of engaging kind of party politics on it, that, that is the point here, isn't it? That a lot of the judges' commentary today mirrors and chimes with the criticism of Sinn Féin and the perceived tactic within the party of silencing criticism. This is an abusive process, no realistic prospect of success, scandalous, frivolous and vexatious yeah. is how the suit was described. Yeah, I mean, I think politicians are entitled to, to their private life life they're entitled to a good name and I think the media generally here the public have been have been very responsible in terms of respecting politicians personal and family lives but politicians have to be up for scrutiny and I think particularly parties that are potentially going to form a government after the next election um, and especially their actions as they might relate to kind of their integrity to hold office um, I do get a sense that there is a reticence to kind of report on certain individuals and parties kind of for fear of litigation and I don't think that's necessarily conducive to, to a healthy democracy. I think it's good to hear a judge kind of call out vexatious claims and, you know, he's going to be slapped with the costs now, which I hope will act as a disincentive to people who might take similar cases in, in the future. Um, unfortunately, I think down here, there's maybe often a rush to to kind of settle immediately, either by the, the media company themselves or their insurers in order to kind of avoid kind of lengthy uh, legal cases and the potential uh, settlements that might be awarded in court as opposed to something that could be negotiated uh, outside of court. So, look, it's an interesting one. I I think it's definitely something that we'll have to get to grips with here. And there's been a long running debate as to whether or not our defamation laws are actually appropriate for enabling kind of a healthy democracy. Ian Power, the CEO of Spun Out. Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Media House. Thank you both very much uh, for joining me on the show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.